Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Aren't you thankful for Jesus Christ and Him alone? On Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong. Amen. Gosh, great job choir, great job Tom. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to go to Luke. Luke, the book of Luke, we're in chapter 17. And I want you to go chapter 17, verse 11. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And when you get there in your Bible, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? God's Word says, On the way to Jerusalem, He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as He entered a village, He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving, th- giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Father God, would you in this moment hide me behind your cross, open up your word to us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to comprehend what glories you have prepared for us through your word today. And Father, may we leave being the one that returned. May we leave being the one who gives thanks. May we leave being grateful in heart. Father, please teach us. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. So, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There's been a turn in the book of Luke. We've been preaching through the book of Luke for a while now, and so there's been a turn in the book, and that turn is that Jesus is now heading to Jerusalem, and we see him heading to what he knows is his certain demise, and what he knows is the in his demise is going to be the salvation of the world. So Jesus is heading, and he's somewhere between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Anybody in here ever had leprosy before? Okay, probably none of us, right? So let me fill you in on what it feels like to have leprosy. 
Now, I want you to remember back about a a year and a month ago, somewhere around the end of March or April of 2020, and if you had to cough in the middle of a crowd in April of 2020, and you let that cough slip out, do you remember the stares of the people? Is it too soon to say that, all right, to make a joke about corona? I know it's a serious thing, but do you remember Do you remember back a year ago when there was so much unknown and you coughed in public and you're like, it's nothing, I promise it's nothing. Every time you sneezed or had the sniffles, you feel like you had to explain it away. Well, do you remember how even maybe if you got it or even if you you were being tested, you were kind of outcasted or ostracized for a time period? Now, I want you to understand that leprosy was that times 10. Leprosy, to be a leper was to be a social and religious outcast. It meant essentially this, that if you were a leper in that day, the book of Leviticus instructs us that that if I was a leper, I would have had to walk around uh, in Jerusalem or or in, in the place that I lived, and I would have to walk around saying, unclean, unclean, before I would walk by somebody, I'd have to declare loudly, unclean, and other people are going to take a really wide berth around me. It meant that I couldn't go into the temple of God. It meant that I was unclean, that I could not worship religiously. I could not go into the temple or offer sacrifices of praise or of sin atonement. I couldn't do those things. It meant that I couldn't live with my family. It meant that I was outcasted from the very ones that I loved and loved me best. It meant that I was socially and religiously outcast. Can you imagine what that feels like? Maybe some of you can. Maybe it's not because of leprosy, but you have been outcasted by some for some reason or another. And you you think to yourself, can you just imagine what it would feel like to be a leper in Israel for years? The looks of disdain. Can you feel them? To be the object of people's disgust. Now, not only was this man a leper, but he was a Samaritan. And you know what Jews thought about Samaritans. Samaritans were half-bloods. Samaritans had defamed or defamed the, the temple profane the temple in Jerusalem. And they were outcasted also. And so this guy, who is a leper, and he's Samaritan, is just doubly doomed. He was a double outcast. But I want you to notice that in this this passage, there are both Jews and Samaritans, lepers together. And it, it seems like in that place, their differences didn't matter You maybe have heard the phrase, misery loves company. And so there are Jews and Samaritans here together. I want you to see what happens. Verse 12, he entered a village. He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Why were they standing at a distance? Because they were doing what was expected of them. They couldn't come into the presence of God for fear that your leprosy might defile me. That your leprosy might, I might contract it. And that your uncleanness I might now have. 
And if I don't want your uncleanness because I love going to the temple. I love worshiping. I love sleeping in my own bed and be with my family. And I don't want you anywhere near me. So they stood at a distance and they shouted out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I want you to understand something as we get into this idea of leprosy. That anytime you see leprosy in the scripture, and we come across someone with leprosy, it, we're coming across a physical representation of our spiritual disease. Leprosy was a painful, wasting disease that, that killed you slowly until it killed you fully. Parts of you stopped having feeling until parts of you began to fall off, until it took your life. It killed you painfully and slowly. And doesn't sin do that to us? Sin kills us painfully, little by little, until once and for all, if sin is not dealt with, sin will kill us eternally. Now, I just need you to understand that in this story, we're not Jesus, we're not His disciples. Who are we? The lepers. Now, probably none of us like being called a leper or equated to a leper, right? That we're disgusting in the sight of God because of our sin. That our sin is revolting to the Lord. That our sin makes us unclean before God. And that we are socially and spiritually outcasted because of our sin. Now, none of us probably like being described that way, do we? But here's what I need you to understand. The Bible's truth afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. The beauty of Jesus and the grace of Jesus are only seen in light of the reality of the depth of our sin that we have. And, and just like these ten lepers who knew they needed healing, why did they know they needed healing? Because they knew they were desperately sick. And so they ran as close as they could to Jesus and they shouted out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They were desperate. And let me tell you, God wants us to be desperate for Him. You know, part of our problem sometimes is we're not as desperate as we ought to be for Jesus. We think we got it together. But the Bible reveals a painful reality that we are spiritual lepers until we come in contact with Jesus, Master, Son of the Most High God, Redeemer, Messiah, and Savior. Spurgeon says it best when he says, I have a great need for a Savior, but I have a great Savior for my need. They say in verse 13a, they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That word master is epistates. It literally means chief commander. Chief commander. Now, here's what I want you to understand. They weren't calling him Lord like God in the flesh, but what they were calling him was Messiah. The Messiah was to be a political and military victor. That's what they thought. That's what Jews thought the Messiah was going to be, that he was going to come in and he was going to kick Rome's rear end and get them out of there and he was going to take care of all these things and accomplish all of the promises of God in the Old Testament and, and that is what Jesus came to do except that he came to do it in a spiritual way and not only in a physical way. But they said, Master, Chief Commander, they understood something. They understood Jesus' identity as the Messiah and the Jews and the Samaritans were waiting on a Messiah 
And it seems likely they believe that Jesus is the one. In verse 14, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. Do you know, understand how backward that sounds. Jesus, I don't know if you've read the book of Leviticus before, but in the book of Leviticus it says that I'm supposed to be cleansed of my leprosy and then go show myself to the priest. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. Why did Jesus tell them to go show theirself to the priest? Two reasons, I think. Number one is because in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 18, I think it says Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so Jesus is keeping the Levitical law by saying cleansing happens and then is affirmed by the priest. So go show yourself to the priest. He's keeping the law. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8, that that God did what the law couldn't do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus kept the righteous requirement of the law so that by faith in Him, we might receive that righteousness. He kept that righteous requirement. So number one, Jesus didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Number two, He wanted, I think, to, to test their faith. To test their faith. See, faith in this passage is proven by their obedience. Faith, we've been talking about it for a few weeks now. Faith is when we take God at His word. When we trust in God's promises and when we walk accordingly in obedience. It's taking Him at His word, trusting in His promise, and walking accordingly. Are you with me, church family? And so Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. It didn't make sense to them. Let me ask you a question. Does following Jesus always make sense? No, that's why they call it faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight, by faith. It doesn't always make sense. And listen to what it says. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. All of them. All ten of them. What a miracle it would have been for one of them to be cleansed. But not only was one of them cleansed, but all ten. Ten out of ten. How many of you would like to have that batting average? Ten out of ten times you do something, you succeed. Yes! All of them were healed. See, obedience was the evidence of faith, and Jesus blessed it. Jesus blessed it. This is what it says in verse 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I want you to understand something. Notice something. This man, this one, one leper, one leper who was healed, a Samaritan who was healed, ran back after he, he looks down. He's on his way, and he looks down, and he says, Oh my gosh! Oh my Jesus, I'm healed! And he runs back, praising God, shouting, and he falls at his feet, giving him thanks. I want you to notice that Jesus did not stop this man's worship of him as God. That's interesting. That should be interesting. I mean, look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He fell at whose feet? 
Jesus' feet. And he says, and you're giving praise to God through me. When you give praise to me, you give praise to him. Which, if Jesus is accepting the worship that only God deserves, that means one of two things. One, either Jesus is a blasphemer. Because what does the Ten Commandments say? You worship the Lord your God in Him alone. Or it means that Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. Well, the question would mean, do we have two gods? No, we have a triune God. We worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are not three separate entities. Entities. They are one in nature. And then we understand that only one returned to give thanks to God in the flesh. Do you know, all ten of these men should have run back to Jesus and, and sang the, the words of Psalm 103, which I think we have up here on the screen, which says this. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all His benefits, who forgives your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. Could you imagine the chorus that they could have sang if they'd have run back? Ten men having been cleansed, ten lepers having been cleansed, run back at the feet of Jesus. What a chorus that would have been. To sing the Psalm 103, verse 1 to 3, but only one returned. Only one returned, and it was a Samaritan. This is the second time in the book of Luke that Jesus makes the Samaritan a hero. That Jesus makes the Samaritan an example for us to follow. Can you imagine a Jewish reader opening the book of Luke, reading the book of Luke, and then Jesus says, yeah, be like the Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, it's the parable of the good Samaritan. And going, you want me to be like who? <laughs> this is kind of offensive. He makes him the, the, the hero. But here's what I want you to see. This is the main point of my sermon that I want you to see. And don't miss it. I want you to, to, to understand that thankfulness is central to being a follower of Jesus. Thankfulness is central to being a follower of Jesus. And in this passage, we see an example of the sin of ingratitude or thanklessness. Some theologians believe that the sin of ingratitude or thanklessness is at the root of all sin, and, it, and because it's related to pride. One theologian says, ingratitude and pride go hand in hand. Where one goes, the other walks with it. Jeremiah Burroughs. I love reading old uh, Puritan preachers. 16th, 17th century, 18th century. I love reading them. And uh, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan preacher of the 17th century, says, Worship is not only doing what God pleases, but being pleased with all that God does. It's not only doing what pleases God, but being pleased with all that God does. And this one, this one leper was pleased with all God did, and he could not keep it in. But then we see nine with the sin of ingratitude or thanklessness. I want you to today to understand that, that thankfulness is central 
to being a Christian, to being a follower of Jesus. If you are a Christian, you should be thankful. It should be a fruit of our faith. Ryan, when am I supposed to be thankful? Well, let me give you a couple scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in what? All circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself, well, what is God's will for my life? Well, I don't know exactly what God's will is for your life, for all of your days, but one thing I know for certain is being thankful in all circumstances is God's will. Thankfulness is God's will for us. I I can say that with 100% certainty. With 100% certainty, thankfulness is God's will. For what? Okay, I understand I'm supposed to do it in all circumstances, But for what? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 to 20 says this, Be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. Do you see it? Well, for what? Always is the when and for everything is the for what. Ryan, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's hard to be thankful when you're in circumstances like mine. I want to remind you of an example in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas are in a prison cell. Cold, dark, dark, damp prison cell. Can you imagine the, the cuffs of the chains chafing away at your hands? You can't move. You're bound up. You're in this prison cell, maybe jammed tight with other people. It's stinky. And Paul and Silas are in the prison cell. And what are they doing? Singing and making melody in their heart to God. Always and for everything. You mean in the middle of the hard days? Yes. Let me go backward for a second. Now I'll touch on that again in a minute. Let me go back to the idea that the root of sin... All sin is ingratitude. I want you to, if you got your Bible or it'll be on the screen, Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They knew Him, but they didn't honor Him or give thanks to Him. Do you see that? Do you see how The honoring God or giving thanks to Him is central to their sin. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let me tell you, being ungrateful or thankless will only lead to further sin in our lives. At the root of mankind's sin is the sin of not honoring God as God or thanking Him as God. So what keeps us from being a thankful people? There, this list is not uh, full, but, but here are just a few of them. Lostness. Number one, lostness. If you are not going to be a thankful person if you are lost. Believers, though, are thankful. Number two, selfishness. What were the other nine lepers doing or thinking when they realized that they were healed? I'm healed. I get to go home. I get to go to the priest. I can go back. They were thinking of themselves. They were selfish. Number three, 
Sometimes it's the gift that keeps us from being thankful. Have you ever given a gift to your children, church family, where they were so enthralled with the gift that they completely forgot about you? Children, boys, where are you? Girls, all right. Hey, when your mamas and your daddies give you a gift, remember that they're good parents too, okay? And then play with the gift. Like thank them, hug them, smooch them, all that good stuff, and then go play with the gift. You know, sometimes we do that with God. We take more pleasure in the gift that God gives us than we do in the giver himself. Circumstances sometimes keep us from being thankless. Ryan, you don't understand what kind of difficulties I'm experiencing. My life is hard. How am I supposed to be thankful when all this stuff is going on? Suffering. You don't understand the sickness in my body. I can't be thankful. Trials. And when we're not thankful, we're bitter. We feel like, listen, when we're not thankful, there's an essence that we're saying that, God, you got it wrong with me. Do you hear me? When I can't be thankful in all my circumstances, I'm assuming that God messed up when it came to my life. That's a scary thought. Pride. Pride says that I deserve the things that I'm getting. I shouldn't be thankful. You owe me. And we would never say that. But sometimes we think and feel and act that way, don't we? Impatience. Impatience can sometimes cause us to be thankless or ungrateful because I don't know about you but I wanted God God's good gifts yesterday I wanted the resolution to my problems last week I wanted my wayward child to come back last year or last decade I'm impatient and so I'm thankless well Ryan I, I could be thankful if I was healed like these ten or the, yeah, these, these ten, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I, w- I want you to fill in a blank for me. I would be more thankful if God blank. I would be more thankful if God would do this. Or if God would give me that. Then I would be more thankful. But here's what I want you to know. If you can fill in the blank with, I would be more thankful when... That is your God. That is your greatest joy. That is your greatest treasure. And that thing is the thing that's keeping you from being thankful for all that God has done in all circumstances at all times. I know it's easier said than done. I know that I'm standing up here preaching a sermon that I cannot fully live out. But as Christians, we recognize that everything, everything we have, wherever we are, whatever we are, is a good gift from God. To be thankless is to reject God as creator, to reject God as sovereign ruler of all things, to reject Him as the giver of all good gifts and the giver of life. 
We recognize that every, James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 2 says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now this is just a straw poll right here. It's not my sermon title, but how many of you think we're in the last days? I'm not raising my hand. Okay. I'm, I'm just not raising my hand because I don't want right, to. How many think we're not necessarily in the last days? Okay, all right. I want you to hear what, what Paul says to Timothy. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. I want you to notice that in the last days, ingratitude or a thankless heart is one of the sins of the last days. Now, I'm not saying we are, and I'm not saying we're not. All I know is we're closer today than we were yesterday. But, but listen to me. I look around our nation, and I say, man, we are an ungrateful nation. And guess what the next word is? The next defining term is ungrateful, unholy. It seems like those two might go hand in hand. And I'm not... Can you see it in our country? That a lack of gratefulness or a lack of thankfulness might just lead us to further sin? How are we doing? I want to ask you, how are we doing? How are you doing at returning to give thanks and praise to God? How are you doing? And it's easy in these sermons to go, yeah, that person over there, they need to hear this sermon. Those people over there, this group, that group. Now the question is, how am I doing at returning to give thanks? Would I be one of the nine or would I be the tenth one? Would I be that one? So what am I to be thankful for? Let me just give you a few things real fast that we can always be thankful for. Number one is God's providence. And that means we were born in a country where we were given the ability to be introduced to Jesus. If, if you're sitting here, you've had the ability to be introduced to Jesus, and you can be grateful for God's providence. Whether it was family or friends or a church that introduced you to Jesus, whatever the means were, God was the provider. And we can be thankful for God's provision that we grew up in a place where we were able to hear God's word and his gospel and respond to God's gospel through Jesus. Number two, we can be thankful for God's love. I want you to understand, just like these lepers, Jesus saw them in their greatest hour of need. And Jesus sees us in our greatest hour of need. And I want you to know that Jesus does not turn a deaf ear. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have just kept on walking to Galilee. Heading to Jerusalem. Too busy. Time's a-ticking. But he didn't. He heard their cry, and he had mercy. So we can be thankful for God's love. I want you to know that wherever you are, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He loves you, and if you're a Christian, you can't mess it up. Third thing, God's grace and power. We can be, if you're a Christian, you can be thankful that Jesus has healed us from the sickness and death caused by the leprosy of sin. 
We can be thankful for his salvation. We can be thankful for a cross. We can be thankful for Calvary. We can be thankful for shed blood, broken body, and resurrection. We can be thankful for that at all times, in all circumstances. God's provision. We can be thankful for God's provision. Well, Ryan, the, you have more. They have more than I do. If I had as much as you did, well, that's not what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I've learned in everything to be content. See, because God has provided us not just physical things, but uh, Ephesians chapter 1, I think verse 11, says that he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Are you in Christ? then you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every. You are not lacking in spiritual blessings if you are in Christ. Isn't that good news? Not only has he given us every spiritual blessing, but James chapter 1 says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. You can be thankful for friends, family, material blessings. You can be thankful for God's promises. You can be thankful for God's salvation. You can be thankful to the giver for all the good gifts that he has given to us. That's hard. Just as I'm preparing for a sermon, I'm trying to practice what I preach and in just trying to spend more time being thankful in prayer than asking for God to do things for me in prayer. It's hard because, thank, thank you Lord for all the stuff. Ella prays the cutest prayer every day. Uh, she wants to pray for dinner. And she says this, thank you God for all that you do and all the stuff that you make, amen. That kind of encompasses it all. But do you know, sometimes I want to pray to God just like that. Thank you, God, for all the stuff that you do and all the, all the things that you make. And now I need this. But when was the last time, I mean, you, you've heard me say, there's that poem that says, uh, how I love you, let me what? Count the ways. I want to be reminded, I, I need to remind myself of all the reasons that I should be thankful, or all the reasons that I love you. And so I'm not going to just summarize it with the Ellis prayer. I'm going to spell it out. I'm going to be particular. I'm going to tell you everything that I can think of to be thankful for, because I want to be a thankful person. But sometimes it's so easy to enjoy the gift and not the giver. But not this guy. Not our man in our story. Not old Samaritan. This is what it says. Instead of following the other nine, instead of following the crowd, he returns to Jesus for the sacrifice of praise. Psalm chapter 50, verse 14 and 23. I read it at the beginning of our service. It says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. You want to glorify God? Offer him sacrifice of praise. Thanksgiving. Psalm 51, verse 15 to 16, after David says, Purge me and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Then he says, 
Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. You don't want my stuff that I return to you. You want me to be grateful. Warren Wearsby says of this fellow in Luke chapter 17, he says, instead of going to the priest, this Samaritan became a priest and he built an altar at the feet of Jesus and he offered to Jesus a sacrifice of praise. Jesus responded to him and he says this, listen to me church family, your faith has made you well. The Greek doesn't say has made you well, it literally says has saved you. It says, your faith has saved you. Now understand, don't miss this point. The other nine lepers walked away purified from sickness, but this one walked away purified and saved. What a miracle to be cleansed from the disease of leprosy, but how much more to be cleansed from the disease of sin Saved from death and hell. Your faith has saved you. I want you to note something. Remember, the, his obedience to go to the priest it was his first act of faith. It was his first fruit of faith. And then we see the faith that recognizes the giver. I want you to understand that there were nine who went home that day cleansed of disease but still destined for hell. Because of their sin. Because of their wickedness. They were on a road to hell and they needed a savior. But one turned back to the giver of good things. Acknowledging the giver, he fell down at his feet and praised God. He understood that this is not just some Messiah or some version of the Messiah, some military conqueror. This is God in the flesh. And he fell down at his feet and he worshipped him. He laid his offering of praise at the feet of his Savior. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. It's not the amount of the faith, but the one in whom his faith rested. It was not the object, or not the amount of faith, but the object of his faith that saved him. It, was, it should be like this. It's not, it's not just your faith alone. But it's your faith in me that has saved you. I want you to understand, faith can be just a general thing. Well, I have faith. I have faith. I believe. I want you to understand that it's faith in Jesus that saves. Not just faith in general. People... People, you know, we're like this leper. We come to Jesus for a thousand things. These came to Jesus for healing. We come to Jesus sometimes for the same. We, we come to him for healing, broken marriages. We come to him because of wayward children, or I don't want wayward children, and so I'm, I want to come to Jesus to help him raise my children. We come for, for sin, sinful pasts that haunt us. We come for guilt to be removed and dealt with. We, we come for financial struggles. We come for fellowship and community. We come to church for all kinds of things. 
See, but this man, he came to Jesus for a temporary problem and ended up with an eternal solution. The leper came for physical healing, but left with spiritual salvation. And I, I, don't be fooled. Whatever reason God has led you to church, it is not just for that reason. You can find fulfillment of that reason when you come to church. But let me tell you why you came to church. Because Jesus is drawing you to salvation in Him. He wants you to take your faith and put it in His finished work where He died for your sin. He, on the cross, He says He bore your sin in His body. That means He took on your spiritual leprosy on the cross and He died so that you might be healed of from sin. And so if you've come to church thinking, I, I came because of this. No, you didn't, my friend, because Jesus is coming for you. He loves you, and He wants you to trust in Him. He doesn't want you to be healed. He wants you to be saved. And sometimes He'll do both. He came to Jesus to meet a need, and He left with a relationship with the living God. And that's what we want for each one of you. Sean, can I get an amen, brother? You know, sometimes that happens to us in prayer. We go to God in prayer with all our needs, and guess what we find in prayer? We find out, we find Him. And we leave, and I'm like, I don't care if my, my, my prayer requests are really answered because what I really needed was you. I really needed a cornerstone. I really needed an anchor in the middle of the storm. And when I came wanting you to fix my problems, what I really found is if I hold tight to an anchor, to that hope, who is Jesus. When I hold tight to him, I'll be fine in the middle of a storm. I don't need you to rescue me from the storm. I want to be in the storm if you're in the storm. I'll walk through this storm because I just want to be with you. We come empty and needy and we leave satisfied. So I just want to invite you, let the living God in. If you haven't, let him in. To whatever circumstance you're in. All right, I got I to gotta wrap this up. Here's how I'm going to conclude. We, we are spiritual lepers. Here's my application. We are spiritual lepers. And so if, if, that, if, you, if, that is, if God has revealed to you today that your sin has separated you from a holy God and that you have this disease of sin that is going to take you out, it's going to kill you both physically and spiritually, I'm asking you to trust in Jesus who is Savior and Messiah and who is sufficient. He has done everything to save you. I'm asking you to trust Him today. Second thing, I'm asking you to offer to God a daily sacrifice of praise. When you wake up in the morning, don't let the first thing out of your mouth be, I need, but I thank you for. I promise it'll change your attitude. And when your attitudes change, it just might change your life. The last thing, express your thankfulness to others. Let's express our thankfulness to others. God has given us not just wonderful gifts, but some wonderful people. As a church, God has given us wonderful people. Maybe you as an individual, God has put some wonderful people in your life, and you just might need to reach out to them today or this week and just say, hey, I want to thank you for what you did 27 years ago in my life.
I just want to thank you for it. I don't know if I ever thanked you for it. After I graduated high school, I went back to my chemistry teacher and I said, I just want to thank you for giving me a D. And I'm sorry. That was after I met Jesus. She needed to know. But maybe there's somebody that you need to reach out to and say thank you. So as we come to this time of, of concluding our service and of responding, if you, if you want to meet Jesus today and get saved, this is an opportunity. And, and I know it might feel weird for you to step out of your seat and come down to see me, and you're going to go, what are people thinking about me? And I go, who cares? Let me tell you who's celebrating. God is celebrating when you get out of that seat and walk down in obedience. Remember, it's not the priest who saves you. It's Jesus, the great high priest, who saves you. So remember, they never, they never made it to the priest before they got healed. Healing happens sometimes when we just get up out of our seats. So maybe that's your day. Maybe you just need to come to God and say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've been an ungrateful person. 2020 has not been kind to my gratefulness my gratitude. And so I, I just want to, I want to start from now on, I want to be a more thankful person. You can come confess that, you can come do that. And, and lastly, if you would like to join our church today and you want to start that journey or conclude that journey, I'd love to talk to you about that. But would you stand with me? Brother Tom, Miss Margaret, Miss Sarah are going to come and lead us in song. And we're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to make melody in our heart to God. Would you pray with me? And you respond, even as I pray, you, you respond right now how God's leading you. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your providence that we are born in such a place we're able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for those who shared the gospel with us. We thank you um, for your love, that you didn't look past our greatest need, but you met us in the middle of it. We thank you for your provision. We thank you how you take care of us in so many different ways, and we forsake lots of little things every day, and we just want to be a people who don't forsake those little things. Help us not to. Father, and most importantly, we're thankful for the grace of God given to us through Jesus on the cross. And Jesus said, whoever looks on me and believes will be saved. And we're thankful for the salvation we can experience. We're thankful for what you're doing in our church family. We're thankful for the guests that you brought to us. We're thankful for the people who serve faithfully. We're thankful for all these things. Now, Father, I just pray that you would help us to respond to you the way that you want us to respond. There are people here who need Jesus, and there are people here who are going to make their next step toward membership. And we pray that you'd lead them. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. As we sing, you respond. and you.